Hello, once again, welcome to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jackson Eflin. Thank you for joining us for episode 15, the finale of our comics bracket. This week, we will be discussing 2002's Road to Perdition, as well as 1990's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They've both made it here after a long, long journey, and it's really impressive on its own. So, I just want to point out that no matter who leaves, they're all winners. Road to Perdition went up against Kingsman, the Secret Service, in episode if we kind of push that out, because Kingsman, while fun, kind of has a lot of problems here and there. Then in episode 9, it went up against Men in Black. And that was a really hard one. I think probably one of the harder ones of this bracket, because Men in Black is super fun. But there's just a little bit of pacing troubles and some uncomfortable implications. Yeah. And yeah. Man, we ain't got time for this cover-up bullshit. It also kind of ended up being a grudge match, since Men in Black 2 came out just before Roche Perdition did and beat it at the box office. Mm -hmm. Then two episodes prior, Roche Perdition beat out Cowboys and Aliens. For obvious reasons. Will you shut up? I'm thinking. <sighs> Part of me really enjoys Cowboys and Aliens and see what it's trying to do, but I'm not quite sure it would have wound up getting to the semifinals had it not had some very easy competition. Part of me enjoys Cowboys and Aliens in the same way that I enjoy Suicide Squad, and then I don't like what's there, but I like what could have been done with it, and I enjoy the experience of trying to figure out how I would fix it. Then, on the other side for a bracket, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in episode 5 went up against Spawn. God. A movie so bad that we decided to just have the vote before we even talked about it. Yep. It wasn't worth it. Yep. See you in hell, Jason! I can honestly say that Spawn is probably the worst film that I have ever seen. Definitely the worst film of the ones we've talked about. Then episode 11, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles went up against the Peanuts movie. Which, while fine, doesn't have that same kind of star power. I cannot accept this honor. There's also the fact that it has some very major problems that we have talked at length about. Mm. Just give her a name. Give her a name. We know the name of Splinter's owner's dead girlfriend, and we don't know the name of uh, oh. Charlie Brown's love interest. Yeah. And lastly, TMNT went up against the crow. I hate this. Which, again, was a very difficult decision to make. Had a few things gone a little bit better in the production of The Crow, it could have easily gone the other way. Before we get too far into it, of the movies we've talked about, what's a matchup you kind of wish we'd gotten to that never happened because of the way the bracket is shaped up? One that I wish we would have gotten was Cowboys and Aliens versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I'm not sure if we've talked about it on the podcast before, but Teenage Mutant Turtles has Sam Rockwell in his second credited film role. He is head thug. <laughs> He's the one that, after the defeat of Tetsu, is trying to get everyone to jump Casey Jones. Or towards the beginning of the film, when kids are asking for cigarettes, he offers them regular menthols. It's so weird seeing Tiny Baby Sam Rockwell here. Yeah. And especially in comparison to where he, he is, like, this very doofy character in Cowboys and Aliens. Mm -hmm. I think I also would have enjoyed comparing Cowboys and Aliens to Men in Black. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really, we just want to keep talking about Cowboys and Aliens, even though it's maybe not that strong. It's There's so much to unpack with it. I think it's a, similar to the reasons why I like to talk about Bright. It's not a good film, but the ways that it is bad are interesting. Yes. But we're not here to talk about Cowboys and Aliens or Bright. We are here to talk about Road to Perdition or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, which I'm just going to call TMNT because there's a lot of words. So many syllables. Fair enough. 
most of this episode is probably just going to be us trying to figure out who is going to win this bracket. But before we do, what are we like our last little bits that we'd like to share about these films? What do we want to a get few, into? A few small monographs. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd kind of set my piece on all of them. Like, there's not a lot that I desperately feel the need to get into that we haven't already gotten into before. I actually have uh, some things that I want to dive into just a little bit that unfortunately just not been able to get into in previous episodes. So for Road to Perdition, um, Connor's reaction to be called Sir at the wake is very interesting. Sir. I have to call me Sir, not your pa. He rejects the notion of Michael Jr. calling him Sir because he doesn't see himself in that role because of how underappreciated and subservient that he feels in the Rooney criminal empire. Daniel Craig isn't that young, but I, the, the character seems to be pretty young. Mm-hmm. So I think he hasn't really been in a sir e position for a while, so it's a very unusual thing for him. I kind of get it. I get sir at work fairly often, and I'm like, mm, mm, don't like that. Don't like being reminded of my age. <laughs> I feel the icy breath of death upon my neck. <laughs> Or my gender that you think I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was about to say, is it really more of an age thing or more of a gender thing? Both. Um, okay. But also no no real good middle thing to be like, no, say this instead. Encantatrix, I guess. But <laughs> but it's really hard to get 15-year-olds to call you Encantatrix. You need to find better 15-year-olds. Oh, we sure do. Interestingly, in that same scene, he suggests to Michael Jr. calling him Uncle Connor. Call me Connor. No, call me, call me Uncle Connor. And this is like a day or two before he is going to try and kill him, Mm -hmm. which honestly just boggles my mind that he can go from this person is family to I'm going to murder this child. Well, not this child in particular. Yeah. The idea of one of the child. I mean, his intention was to murder that specific child. He just couldn't tell them apart. We've probably said this before, but I love the plot element that he cannot tell them apart. It makes him just an interesting character Mm -hmm. kind of jumping off this there's also the scene right after they figure out that it's michael jr who saw everything and connor asks can he keep a secret and michael senior doesn't say yes of course he can he just goes he's my son and it just shows you how worlds apart these two are like they both work as enforcers for this criminal empire they're both totally fine with killing people but michael senior has standards about it he also has kind of a willingness to try less severe solutions, like with the club owner, where he you know, doesn't go in with any kind of intent to do violence, even though he probably has some awareness that that might come up, but he doesn't seem to want to, whereas Connor seems like he's just kind of waiting for someone to shoot. He'd probably make a better Michael Sr. than Michael Sr. does, and Michael Sr. would make a better Connor Rooney than Connor Rooney does, but unfortunately, bloodlines. Switching gears over to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we talk a lot about what we would like to change and would we feel would improve a film make it stronger i really wish that instead of casey going up against tetsu it was Raphael. Mm-hmm. even if it meant that the fight with shredder had to be delayed or whatnot the film really sets up Raphael and tetsu as foils they're both kind of struggling with this position of in tetsu's case definitely subservience but not necessarily in Raphael. he sees it as being subservient to leo who is kind of trying to be the leader and they both struggle with their anger issues. I think it's also maybe less subservient and more inadequacy. Mm. Um, Tetsu and Raph both clearly have some feelings of inadequacy that they're having trouble working through for whatever reason. And their outlet for that is, is anger and violence because menfolk. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think it would have been very interesting to have these two characters who are very similar in lots and lots of respects face off against each other and kind of have that as a sort of symbolic Raphael letting go of the things that make him similar to Tetsu and growing as a person. Mm-hmm. It would also be more impactful for Raphael to deliver the lines about family because he has the most learning about family to, to do in this movie. Yeah. Casey does too, but he's not necessarily part of the core family, nor do I feel that he needs to be. He yeah. definitely works as a loner, whereas Raphael clearly needs people to keep him grounded. Yeah. I think them trying to give Casey more spotlight time is kind of why they ended up going this direction as opposed to anything else. Also, it, it's very important for the Turtles to fight Shredder together. Yes. I think it's also probably not super cheap to do turtle scenes. They might have tried to have as few turtle scenes as possible to save some budget. Yeah, understandable. I can't say for sure. They're practical effects, so mm. who knows. But yeah. the, the third act is kind of where TMNT starts to fall apart. Fifth act, the, the end bit. Mm-hmm. The last third. Yeah. A couple other like smaller things with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I love the way that Mikey and Donnie react to Raph and Leo's fight in April's apartment. God, and they're just like, mm, let's go we'll do something else somewhere. Fight? Fight. Kitchen? Kitchen. Yeah. Specifically because it lets you know that they're not fighting just because of the stress they're under. That might be the ignition point this time. But the fact that they know exactly how this is going to go and they're just like, nah, we're going to bow out, lets you know that this these sort of spats are a pretty frequent occurrence and that Mikey and Don have this agreement and strategy to just avoid getting involved between the two of them. Mm-hmm. It also brings a little bit of comedy to that scene so that while it's stressful, it's not too stressful. And that helps a lot with making it not too dire. This is just a really small, funny bit, but Mikey's getting ready to prank Leo with the symbols in the antique shop. We cut to April, and she's, like, bracing herself for the crowd. She's literally clutching pearls in that scene. (laughs) Very small, minor touch, but it makes that joke so much better. Mm -hmm. I also like how the crashing of the symbols is cut to a similar thing happening, but, you know, with actual stakes on the roof above. It's a good use of your editing yeah that whole the turtles exploring the antique shop is full of stuff like that cutting back to Raphael's fight with the foot on the roof it's quality content which leads into my first question what has better editing uh better editing i think road to perdition's editing is incredibly functional there are a few scenes where like i specifically noticed the editing like michael jr trying to explain what his dad does to his younger brother but for the most part with road to perdition it's just there as trying to be as not noticeable as possible and that's a direction that you can take editing that's not necessarily bad it's just a direction that you can go it's like the difference between impressionist and renaissance art neither of them is strictly better they're just different approaches Mm -hmm. teenage mutant ninja turtles specifically wants you to know when the editing is going on it makes very heavy use of it to great effect you are going to notice these cuts and there is comedy or importance that are created because of the way it was cut i think in general i'm going to give it to teenage mutant ninja turtles because i think it uses its editing in a more interesting way i would not necessarily say one is strictly better than the other I never got confused by what was going on or the geography of a scene with editing, and that's 
typically a sign that you can tell that bad editing is happening. Right. I think that's fair. I think also the use of editing for comedy means you get a more stylized feel for this film, and I think the film would not work if it didn't have a certain stylization that keeps you from feeling like you're watching something entirely real. This is a very hyper-real movie. So we talked about editing. Which film do you think has the better color palette? Uh, It's hard to say because, I mean, I love the colors in TMNT, but... I think Road to Perdition has, like, the the colors work so well for for the emotions of the scenes, Mm -hmm. whereas TMNT only occasionally has them. Yeah, there's also definitely some scenes in TMNT where the lighting is definitely not sufficient and the scene suffers for it. There's just, like, a few scenes in the sewer or whatnot, and I get it, they're struggling because they're telling a story about ninjas and individuals who specifically work in the shadows but there are some times where a i'm reminded of some of the very poorly lit scenes in like cowboys and aliens or various superhero films in recent years that have had terrible lighting and i can't tell what's going on mm-hmm. also quick sidebar that's true and also i mean rich tradition won an oscar for the cinematography and part of that was lighting so it's kind of a big part of it and again TMT has some really beautiful shots that use, like, nature in really impressive ways. Oh, yeah. But I think Road to Perdition consistently uses its lighting to create mood in mm-hmm. better ways than, than TMT does. Yeah. So I'll give it to Road to Perdition, but not because TMT is failing, just Road to Perdition is trying harder. I also think that in general, that surprisingly the action scenes in TMNT are better shot than they are in Road to Perdition. Although I think in Road to Perdition's case, that is a conscious choice not to have like very exciting action sequences. They're supposed to be kind of horrific. Mm-hmm. That said, while I enjoy the action of TMNT, there are definitely some parts where on your second watch where you're like, mm, they're not actually hitting each other there, or ooh, that was you know very clearly choreographed, where it feels very real in Road to Perdition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, like, there are also definitely some parts where you're like, oh, those are like rubber suits that a shell should not squish that way. Then again, there are some bits where they're doing like flips and kicks in those rubber suits, so we got to give the physical actors a lot of props for that work they're putting in. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What would would be better for action then? I think TMNT just edges it out, but that is probably more personal bias than anything. Hmm. Or does that go to Road of Perdition because because it, it's using its action for storytelling? I think better than TMNT is. I will grant you that, but the action scenes in TMNT are more fun. Hmm. I think that they are in general more interesting. Like there's never really any interesting things going on with the gunfights in Road to Perdition, but it's not the type of movie where you'd want that. It's not like a John Wick or a Die Hard. I know you've got the scene in the rain where it's just all quiet and lights coming out of the long darkness. You've got the slow tense buildup in the club while the music increases. In... Yeah, but that's not because of the action. That's because of everything surrounding it. Mm, okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'll give it to TMT. Speaking of music, what's got a better score? Because I, I have some arguments for this one. I think that the score for Road to Perdition is great. It does a very good job of establishing the setting of the prohibition era but i cannot get the theme music for teenage mutant ninja turtles out of my head see i would agree with you on that point but also that theme bothers me because i realized that it's the same here at the start as it is at the end here (laughs) 
the second version is playing during the final fight scene and the score hasn't changed and I feel like if your hero's score hasn't changed it kind of feels like that the hero hasn't changed at all. If they just added a few like victorious horns in there or something it would have really elevated the music and it would have been a lot better. I, I can definitely see that. Mm. It, it's still just an earworm. <laughs> Mm. So, we're, so we're doing it to TMNT because we can't forget it or be well yeah I can't remember the score from Retribution that well so I guess yeah yeah like I said the score is not necessarily supposed to stand out for Road to Perdition mm. honestly there's a lot of the film that is just very quiet yeah without any dialogue or score in the background at all it's just kind of just we have scenes of like just dripping water or footsteps or things like that sure okay so uh, what about acting I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I cannot say that the acting is anywhere near as good as Road to Perdition. Although, consider the physical acting, not the verbal acting or the or the April O'Neil or whatever, but the way they make the turtles feel real based on how those actors are moving. Like, is that enough to, to edge out um, Jude Law and Daniel Craig and Tyler Hecklin and... Paul Newman? And what's his face? That guy who's in a few movies. He's in Spielberg films. Tom Hanks. It's Tom Hanks, yeah, that guy. I, he's... You know, made some emotions happen, I'm guessing. <laughs> I think the physical acting in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is great. The voice actors for all the turtles are doing a really good job, too. It It's still just on a completely separate level than Road to Perdition. Road to Perdition has some of the best actors that Hollywood had to offer it at the time. It's no contest. They are doing an incredible job with the material. That said, they picked a really great April O'Neil. They picked a really great Casey Jones. They picked really good actors for these roles. Yes. Yeah. I don't fault them for not getting big name actors. This was an independent production. Oh, and yeah. Most, like, most distribution companies didn't want to touch it because they thought it was going to bomb. Yeah, we weren't getting, like, Sean Bean as Casey Jones. Yeah, I mean, like... Which what, I want that really a lot now. One of the biggest name actors we get in this is, like, Corey Feldman as the voice of Donatello. Can you imagine swapping Tyler Hecklin and Corey Feldman for these two movies? Oh. Oh, no. Any other general category things you want to talk about? Bringing up costuming is totally not fair. I don't know. The costumes in Road to Perdition are pretty good. They're yeah, but... Pleasantly like, period. Sure. They're, 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 it's period costuming, and they do a great job with that, but... Holly At no point does the villain have a sequin jumpsuit, and therefore it's a worse movie in terms of costuming. <laughs> Bringing up costuming between these two f movies is just, oh yeah, we're going to give it to those turtles, because look at that rat puppet. That's true. That's very true. I will also give TMNT just a like feminism point in that April O'Neil has more than two lines, which is not something you can say for basically any woman in Road to Perdition. I also believe it passes the Bechtel test. Does it? When April O'Neil is doing her interview with the other news anchor and they're talking about the events that are going on within the city. I'm sorry, the foot? Yeah, I know, it sounds like a funky club for podiatrists. Oh, but I've been speaking with a lot of Japanese Americans in the past few days who say that our recent crime wave is reminiscent of a secret band of ninja thieves who once operated in Japan. Are the police looking into this? Well, I've included everything in my statement, but I doubt very much that Chief Stearns is taking this possible connection seriously. Yeah, all right, I'll give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Do not, like, 100% me on it passing the Bechdel test, but I'm yeah. fairly positive. A C is still passing, which I don't think Road to Perdition even turned into homework. <laughs> yeah, there are two women I can think of in the narrative. There's Annie... 
and there's Sarah, what? and they are never on screen together, and one of those women gets fridged. What happened to Sarah? Is she still alive? I don't really know the end. Yeah, like, they never really talked with her again. There's the farm wife. Oh, yeah, okay, there is the wife on the farm. Three. Three. None of them interact at all, and none of them are even on screen at the same time. Mm-hmm. And none of them get more than two scenes. Mm-hmm. TMNT definitely passed the sexy lamp test. I'm not sure if Murder Perdition does. Sorry, I'm not sure everybody knows these things. The sexy lamp test is if you replace a woman with a sexy lamp, would the plot noticeably change? No, the sexy lamps can do two things. They can look sexy and perform one minor function, such as casting light and breaking. I mean, it depends on one discrete action. If you consider motherhood an action, then Annie definitely does not pass. Well, no. I mean... <laughs> I don't think so, because she doesn't generate a child on screen, so, like, those, those kids could have come from anywhere. Like, the nurturing part of motherhood, like, cooking dinner and giving your children baths. Mm, sure. It, it might kind of pass, but, like, only skating by. Yeah. Like, it's not a strong pass. No. Oh, um, there's the sex worker with uh, Jude Law in that one scene. Oh, yeah, I guess so. It doesn't talk to any of the women, whatever, but, yeah. Oh, we're up to four women in the narrative yeah. which thinking about it that is more women than are in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles but none of them get any significant screen time neither of these movies is like a great movie in terms of the feminism yeah. at least in terms of women's representation stuff yeah although one also does have over a decade on the other that's true but speaking of gender what has a better exploration of violence and toxic masculinity Ooh. yeah now we're getting to the fun stuff Honestly, I would give it to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, both of these narratives are dealing with toxic masculinity. As far as road tradition goes, it's kind of fighting one version of toxic masculinity with another. It's not really refuting it. It's just like you need to channel your violence into a positive direction. Whereas Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is specifically trying to say, no, it's okay for you to show emotion. And it is okay to feel the loss of a loved one and it tries to unpack some of that it specifically tries to unpack a lot of the angst and anger that Raphael is feeling it also shows that his brother's trying to give him support and him pushing them away and then eventually comes to realize that he needs them but on the flip side Casey is pretty icky all the way through he kind of is rewarded for it sexually at the end of the film that is very true you just shut up and kiss me okay I got a report to do I think TMNT has higher highs and lower lows about that, whereas Ridge Perdition is kind of like, you know, just one hill. It surprisingly does not really engage with the question, which seems kind of ridiculous if you understand the premise at all. I mean, I think it does engage with it, just not necessarily directly. It's just kind of, no one sits down and talks about it. It's just different characters' actions come through about some stuff. I don't know, it kind of feels like at points that someone outside the film is asking those questions and the film is trying to dodge them. I can see that. So we'll push that over to Timothy. <laughs> Amazing. It's not fair to ask who's the better dad because, well... Obviously, yeah, it's Splinter. Splinter yeah. Between, you know, him and Old Man Rooney. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, and who's the better villain? Shredder or Old Man Rooney? Honestly, Old Man Rooney. Mm. We've, we've talked at length that... Shredder doesn't really have that much of a motivation, and the Turtles aren't even aware of his existence until they fight him. Mm -hmm. He does not work well as a villain. Sure, what he's doing is evil, and the scenes in which he is manipulating those children or threatening Splinter are engaging, but overall, Rooney is a much more interesting villain. Mm -hmm. 
He also has this line one more time. There are only murderers in this room. And then the villains, we also get weird-ass assassin Jude Law and Connor Rooney, who are both interesting and weird in their own ways. Mm -hmm. Story structure, which is better in terms of pacing and story and things all coming together and all that jazz. So it's really interesting because I think they're the exact opposites. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles starts off pretty strong, trying to establish its setting and its characters and moving the plot forward. But after Splitter is kidnapped and the next few scenes dealing with that, things start to go off the rails and it it's not quite as tight. And again, we've talked about this. Shredder doesn't really have any sort of concrete plan that we can understand. He doesn't interact at all directly with the turtles. And the turtles and Casey going up against the foot at the end, it feels like they have to do it because they have to, as opposed to going in with a plan. And they're there to save Splinter, but the turtles aren't actually part of that part of it. So, yeah. yeah. They don't go in with the idea of ending the foot once and for all. Honestly, I think a stronger thing would have been them to rescue Splinter and then for him to reveal that Shredder's a Rokusaki and reveal like what Shredder is amassing all this child army for and then to have them take out the foot. So TMNT starts off strong, gets a little weaker. Whereas I would say kind of the opposite for Road to Perdition, getting the characters and everyone established is okay. It's It takes a little long, but it's not too bad. But everything in between the murder of Annie and Peter and we're going to rob banks feels way too drawn out. And while it does do a good job of establishing some of the characters and setting happening here if you lost maybe 10 minutes of that it probably would have been fine mm -hmm. while i don't necessarily dislike the character i think the jude law villain feels a bit plot cul-de-sac-y and there probably might have been some other way to work that character in or that character's purpose the more i think about it the that whole assassin subplot seems really weird it's not in the comic at all so it's definitely a construction for the film and to have probably a named person go up against michael senior at the end because michael senior needs to die that's yeah and having someone who we have investment in as opposed to just a nameless rooney ex-employee or someone from capone's ranks just to make sure that no one else tries to get uppity and steal his money while the story is maybe unbalanced or a little bit uh unevenly distributed i think the story overall is fine Whereas mm -hmm. I think the story for TMNT is that we keep trying to find ways to make it work a little better. Mm -hmm. So I think the story goes to Road to Perdition. Oh yeah, definitely. So I guess bigger questions are very specific to this bracket and to these films. What's a better adaption of its material? It's really interesting because when we're talking about an adaptation of its material, Road to Perdition only has the one comic it has to adapt from. Well, it kind of has. The Lone Wolf and Cub, <laughs> I guess, kind of, but that's... That's stretching things a little far. Yeah. But, I mean, in its adaption, it changes quite a bit. It changes the character of Michael Sr. quite a bit. It files off the serial number on a few historical figures to move the whole film a little bit further away from historical fiction so that they could do their own thing with it. And yet, in filing off the serial numbers, it got more biopic-y than the comic was. The comic felt more pulpy, whereas this feels like a, like a biopic. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Then you have TMNT, and not only is it adapting the original comic, but it also has to factor in the cartoon show, both of which were popular, 
both for very different reasons and it you can very much see that the film is trying to strike a balance between the two it also calls into question what exactly do we think of as a good adaptation because we talked about Watchmen and it's a very faithful adaptation narrative wise but it loses out on its themes and because of how tied to 1986 the original work was it feels like nothing that's going on is terribly significant. So unchopped, you get a few things you have to make something out of them. And the most impressive meal to me is always when someone makes something really inventive with what they're given instead of kind of the most obvious thing. So I think for me, a good adaption is when you take a thing and make the best possible version from that as opposed to um, just taking that as a template for your story. I think in that regard that I'm going to give it to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Specifically because it's trying to find a balance between this comic book that is not only incredibly dark and gritty, but also acting as a parody of dark and gritty comics from the time period, and also adapting from a very cheesy Saturday morning cartoon that was specifically designed to sell toys to children, and taking both of those things things and giving us the emotional depth that it does is incredibly impressive. See, I agree with you on all those points, but I would kind of give it to Roy to Perdition because I think it's taking this kind of throwaway-ish book that, like, it's not, I, I, don't, I was going to say it's not bad. It's not, I don't think it's very good. It's fine, but it doesn't impress me that much. And making a really emotional, evocative film that clearly had a lot of heart and soul and had people involved in the production who really cared about these characters in the story is I think a really impressive act and I think is a good example of how a good creator can elevate a lump of ore into like a really useful ingot. I will grant you all that. I, I think the adaptation of Roger British is also very good, but it also had Steven Spielberg and some of the biggest names in Hollywood behind it, whereas Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is doing this on a shoestring, independently funded budget. That's true. They had less in their basket. They made something just as nice. So yeah, I'll give it to them. Yeah. And my last question, and this is going to have some conversation on its own, what's the better comic book movie? <sighs> so for me, the idea of this comic book movie isn't just necessarily something that is adapted from... There's this inherent absurdist vein in comics... We can see it in, like, the comedy of newspaper comic strips. We see it in the weirdness of a billionaire playboy putting on a bat costume to fight crime because he has issues with his parents being murdered. I'm not a Batman hater, but we don't need an unsupervised adult man karate chopping poor people in a Halloween costume. Movie Bob has kind of solidified this phrase for me of comics are weird. Road to Perdition is using the medium of comics and it is telling a very pulpy story, but the comic is actually more weird than the adaptation is. There's this one scene in the comic where Michael Sr. disguises himself as an old man and gets onto a gambling ferry that the Roonies own and steals the money and commits arson on it. It's that sort of over-the-top ridiculousness that I don't think it would have worked well for the film that we got, but in taking away some of those things, it makes the end product less comic booky. 
that's a very very subjective thing i will grant you no i think i agree with you i think there's because comics are second only to novels and their ability to be created kind of whole cloth by whomstever they can kind of go anywhere without strictly having to be widely palatable and i think that that is definitely an essential element of comic book as a medium yeah and tmnt well the movie is definitely not as weird as the comics army of ninjas is a thing that sort of happen in real life whereas the comic has interdimensional aliens and time travel and ghosts and animal god things so the movie definitely also is more toned down but the feature films will kind of elevate that to a less toned place so it's fine it's fine yeah and we're still talking about giant anthropomorphic turtles who are fighting ninjas in new york sewers and who are also teenagers yes (laughs) and a rat is their dad and and astral projection is a thing. Yep. <laughs> Cannot forget the astral projection. Not enough astral projection road to perdition. But also, while all these things exist in TMNT, they're still given weight and validity, and the film doesn't hinge around how weird it is that these things exist. Okay, look, the city's flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. Yes, these things are weird, but that's just a thing. It doesn't comment on the weirdness. And there are some comic film adaptations who are like, this is weird and the people making this film don't really like that it's here, but we have to put it in because it's a comic book adaptation. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get really crappy comic book movies. Do you actually go outside in these things? What would you prefer? Yellow spandex? I think part of the problem with The Dark Knight and other things in that kind of vein is that it's almost a shame to be from a comic book and is trying to distance itself from that, whereas TMNT is very very clearly reveling in its source material. Mm-hmm. So, by that metric, I'll give it to TMNT. Mm-hmm. Based on that, we've got four wins for Road to Perdition, eight wins for TMNT. They both get a point for the Sexy Lamp Test, and then TMNT gets a total of ten for the Bechdel Test. So... But twice what Word of Perdition has, TMNT is a stronger film. Radical! <laughs> yeah! At least by the metrics that we're using. Wicked! Delicious! And I would agree with that assessment. Going in, I knew that this was going to be tough, but at the back of my brain, I just kept thinking about the big question for me. It's like, which feels more like a comic book film? And it's definitely Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And that's admittedly partly because this is a comic book bracket. So if we were assessing things for, I guess, historical accuracy, it wouldn't be TMNT because that's not how Sony payments work. (laughs) Yeah, and Road to Perdition is a more competent film. I don't have any problems saying that, but I still, nine times out of ten, would prefer watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. And I think we have other films like road to perdition i think we don't have enough things like teenage mutant Ninja turtles even though we have a lot of comic book movies we don't have enough quite like this and i want more there are plenty of comics that i really enjoy that don't have any sort of adaptation or don't have a good one yeah that have been trying the comic book chew gods yes give us a chew movie or a television show or something i know that they've had plenty of attempts and nothing's gone through but it's things like that that I would love to see more of. Luckily, because they're, they're popular enough and we get reboots enough, I, I'm sure that I will live to see a good Hellblazer movie and a good Ghost Rider movie. Mm-hmm. But So with that, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, by our metric, is the best comic book adaption that is not part of the big two. Huh? Cowabunga! <laughs> 
although it is now moving towards the big two because uh, we're getting a TMNT versus Batman film that nobody asked for. Ninja Turtles. We came to Gotham to stop Shredder and the Foot Clan. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is now owned by Nickelodeon, which is now owned by Viacom. So there's a lot of money that they can pump into that sort of franchise. So what we're saying is the real comic book villain is the corporations. Uh, a wee bit. And the real heroes are you, our listeners. Thank you so much for sticking with us for our second bracket. So for those of you who are familiar from our previous bracket, at this point we're going to talk about stuff that are still comic books, but that we just want to talk about because. So our next episode will be a huge Right Fist of Doom-sized special on Hellboy, going over five different Hellboy films. Bonus points if you can name all of those. Admittedly, two of the movies have the same title, so it's not that hard. <laughs> and then we'll be doing some other what-if issues, if you will. We'll talk about The Addams Family, which unfortunately did not make it onto our bracket. Because we're fools! And should have. We also want to get into The Shadow and the Phantom. Two films that Hollywood decided to make when they saw the Batman films doing really well in the 80s and 90s. And did not get why. Yeah. We also want to talk about The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Which is another bit of Alan Moore's work that went in a very different direction than Watchmen did. And Shag really wants me to watch Mystery Men. I love Mystery Men. It is very much a superhero comedy style thing, and it kind of is the perfect encapsulation of the superhero films of the mid to late 90s. Mm -hmm. So that is our short-term plans. After we're finished with all of those, we will once again be doing another bracket, and we are actually going to be announcing the topic right now. We went for comic books, kind of the most archetypal nerd thing there is. So we're going in the hard opposite direction and going with sports movies. Initial plan is to do a, another bracket of 16, with the caveat being that no sport is going to be represented more than once. Mm -hmm. So it will be the best football movie and the best basketball movie and the best baseball movie by gross domestic box office. There's probably going to be a little bit of wiggle room based off of our criteria for what constitutes a sports movie. Like, we're not going to have movies about the coaches. We'll have more information about that bracket in the future. Also want to officially announce that starting next week we are going to be doing a second episode per week for six weeks discussing the last season of Game of Thrones because Jackson and I already watched together we already talked non-stop about it just as soon we might as well just turn the microphone on and share it with all of you we hope you join us for gratuitous thrones those should be going up the day after so look for the first episode April 15th well, it's going to be well less edited so if you enjoy our like, excellence in editing. Uh, sorry about that. Sorry. Also, I'm just going to go ahead and put a preemptive trigger warning on all of those episodes, both for the content of Game of Thrones, and I also cannot promise that we will not get into some spicy language, if that's a concern for you. <laughs> that's kind of a roadmap for the podcast for the next few weeks. If you want to make sure to keep up with all of that, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Podbean, and Spotify. Once again, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.